Welcome back to Via the Source, where you can get news about the entire NFL and, of course, the Miami Dolphins. Fins up. Here's Steven, your host. What's up, guys? Today's date is September 11th. I'm Steven Masso. As always, you're listening to Via the Source. Now, we have football to talk about. Football is back, and I am excited as ever to get to talk about it with you guys. It's awesome. It is, you know, even though there is no fans in the stands and things could be a little bit odd, life with football is a hundred times better than life without it. So I am so, I'm so excited to talk about it with you guys. In this episode, we're going to be going over a quick little recap of the game between the Chiefs and the Texans. Then we're going to follow it up with a preview of the game between the Miami Dolphins and the New England Patriots. And then lastly, uh, Skip Bayless made some really reckless, just disappointing and disgusting comments directed at Dak Prescott. And I want to talk about that towards the tail end of the episode. So first, Football is back, and it was a game between the Kansas City Chiefs and the Houston Texans, and the Chiefs won this home game by a score of 34 to 20, and frankly, I think the score doesn't do it justice how much the Chiefs dominated this game. I think a late score kind of salvaged the perception of this game, but the Texans were out of this one. Their offense looked lackluster. Their defense was just getting torched, and the Chiefs' offense were flowing as expected. It looked like they were even bothered that they did not have a preseason in this matchup. Everything was just flowing seamlessly. So the Chiefs won this game 34 to 20. Patrick Mahomes 211 yards, three touchdowns, but the star of this game was actually rookie running back out of LSU, Clyde Edwards-Alaire, who had 25 carries for 138 yards and a touchdown. He had this nice little 27-yard scamper where the C just parted wide open. He sprinted straight into the end zone. So a very impressive performance from him. The guy looks outstanding. I tweeted that I think it is overkill. The Chiefs offense is so stacked right now with all the talent that they have. It is just, it's tough to uh, even think of a defense being able to come up with a plan that stops this on a consistent basis because you have Tyreek Hill just running full speed. He could cut it underneath and just carve up a defense. There, There has to be a tremendous amount of respect paid towards him. And I think that's what the Texans were trying to do. He finished his game with only uh, 46 yards receiving. He did have a touchdown though, which was nice. But then you have to account for Travis Kelsey. Then you have to account for Hilaire. And then you have to worry about the other guys. And these aren't just scrubs on your bench. These are also guys who are capable of putting up elite games. When you have Sammy Watkins as like your third or fourth option, that says a lot about the offensive arsenal that you have at your disposal over there in Kansas City. Uh, And then Demarcus Robinson had a pretty good game. He almost had a touchdown, which would have been huge for him. It was reversed. And then uh, Miko Hardman, who was not involved in this game offensively, is somebody who has absolute burners and he could be used, I think, pretty, pretty exceptionally on the offensive side of the ball. So a lot of weapons over there for the Chiefs. They look completely ready for this game. I don't know what the Texans are going to do moving on. Uh, People are already talking about how how bad they look. I'm not going to rule it out just because of what they can do with Deshaun Watson at the helm. And I want to say from the offensive side of the ball for the Houston Texans, this is not to say that the trade worked out beautifully uh, between David Johnson and uh, DeAndre Hopkins, but David Johnson looked really good. He had 11 carries, 77 yards, and then he had another 32 yards through the air. So David Johnson, averaging seven yards a carry, looked a lot more in shape than last year. He had to battle injuries the past uh, couple of years. I'm not going to go out and say that he's going to return to this elite level status, but as a workhorse back, I think they have 
a good amount of value here in David Johnson. It just is a shame because they had to become one-dimensional. They had to drift away from the run in order to play catch-up. I'm not sure that this is going to be the case every week, but when you go up against Patrick Mahomes, when you go up against this Chiefs offense, that is what's going to happen more, uh, more often than not. So some other notables for the Texans offense, Will Fuller had to kind of take on this role as a primary wide receiver. He had eight catches, 112 yards on 10 targets. So he was looking pretty good. He had some nice catches that he actually made with his hands. One of my biggest knocks on Will Fuller throughout his career so far is that he tends uh, to body catch a lot. So he had some nice catches with his hands. He had this one very bad drop towards the beginning of the game. It might've actually been the first pass of the game. So that was really, uh, you know, up and down. I don't expect him to be DeAndre Hopkins. Uh, I don't think anyone is expecting him to be a true wide receiver one for this team, but I'm hoping that as a committee, the Texans guys could come together, but that did not happen in this game. Brandon Cooks, only 20 yards receiving. Randall Cobb, only 23. So there was not a lot of, of wealth being spread around for this Texans offense. It was really just a lot left to be desired. Deshaun Watson was being pressured a lot especially from the outsides, and he was having to move up in the pocket. It didn't look like a comfortable game at all from Deshaun Watson. He also missed on several throws. Uh, you know, he underthrew Will Fuller on what could have been a huge, tremendous play for him. And then there were other just uh, passes to the flats, were, which were very uncharacteristically inaccurate for Deshaun Watson. Now, uh, before we move on, I want to talk a little bit about Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. I do think the guy is amazing. He's in a perfect position right Right now to be elite, but I don't get why uh, it seems to be shocking people. Like, oh, how how is this guy as a rookie just being able to accomplish this? It, he's in a perfect system. Andy Reid just churns out these uh, amazing running backs constantly, over and over again. If you go back to Kareem Hunt, his rookie debut was even better than what we saw from Clyde Edwards-Hilaire in this game. If you look at what he was able to do with Spencer Ware, and then Spencer Ware goes down, they bring in Sharkhandrick West, who all of a sudden looks like a decent running back. The Chiefs running back, whoever they put in there, Damian Williams last year should have been Super Bowl MVP, I think. Whoever they plug in there is going to be at least decent. So when you have a good talent like Clyde Edwards-Hilaire in here, then they are going to produce even more. But don't downplay the importance of this Chief offense, of the weapons around, and how Andy Reid is able to utilize these running backs and make them all work. So those are my thoughts on that. Chiefs came out here looking absolutely prepared. Uh, should be nothing shocking here. You have the best quarterback in the world. You have a ton of offensive weapons. Defense looked great. Texans were just unprepared, it looked like, just completely not ready. Now, we'll move on to the preview of the game between the New England Patriots and the Miami Dolphins. Now, they split uh, the wins and losses last year, like as they typically do. The Dolphins usually always seem to beat the Patriots when they go to Miami, but this was not the case last year. They actually won the game in New England, and they got blown out in the game at Miami. In New England, they won the game by a score of 27 to 24. So what was always typically a guaranteed loss heading into New England, last year it showed us that that is not always the case. So this year, there is a lot of uh, changes that happen to the Patriots roster. And especially if you look at how their defensive depth chart looks right now, the New England Patriots last year, their defense was either number one or number two by anyone's standard. They were absolutely magnificent. 
they had Stephon Gilmore, who was Defensive Player of the Year. It seemed like the defense at time, they were scoring more points than some of the worst offenses in the league were. But you lose Kyle Van Noy, you lose Alandon Roberts, uh, you have uh, Patrick Chung elect to opt out of the season. There is a lot of talent that is missing from this New England Patriots team. If you look at their linebackers right now, they are starting uh, Shalik Calhoun, they're starting Jawan Bentley, they're sta- uh, starting Brandon Copeland, uh, Josh Uche, who was barely a starter last year, his senior year in college. There is a lot left to be desired, I think, uh, you know, on this core of this New England Patriots defense. And even though Stephon Gilmore, you know, was an elite cornerback, he shut down almost every wide receiver that he went up against. He could not shut down Devontae Parker, who absolutely torched him in that game. So I'm not expecting the New England Patriots defense in this game to be the same defense that we saw last year. And I think if you are expecting it, you know, I don't know what roster you're looking at because there is so much that has been churned over in this Patriots team. And trust me, I respect Bill Belichick. I know he has a system in place and he seems to always get it done, uh, you know, with a lack of talent and turns it into something. But this might even be a stretch for him. And then if you go to the Patriots offensive side of the ball, you know, I said this in the last episode. If you listen to my episode I did for Dolphins Talk, I said it there too. You know, Tom Brady, everyone says he's a system quarterback, but you have to also acknowledge Tom Brady, in part, was that system. And I know what you're going to say that the backups in New England also had some success. Jacoby Brissett was pretty good. Matt Castle, way back there, was okay. And then uh, Jimmy Garoppolo. But Uh, You know, just plugging in Cam Newton here, who I still think is a very capable guy, there is no guarantee that is instantly going to translate to success, especially with no preseason, and I really want to emphasize that. Now, even on top of that, I do think the Patriots' offensive line here is pretty decent. They got David Andrews, who's returning. Uh, He missed all of last season. He was on IR with blood clots, and they have Shaq Mason as well. They got Joe Tooney. They got Isaiah Wynn. They have a pretty decent offensive line, even though uh, many people regarded them last year as very uh, underwhelming. I don't think that was the case. I think they're pretty decent, but the offensive weapons here are severely lacking. Sony Michelle last season, I think, had a huge drop-off, and he was wasn't the same guy. James White has proven, I think, several times over that he is one of the elite pass-catching running backs in the league, and I'm not going to downplay that. But then you look at who else is on this team. You have Julian Edelman, who is, you know, a pretty good, uh, reliable slot receiver, a guy who can pick up a handful of yards here and there. But then you have Nikhil Harry, who is kind of unproven. He had some good games after coming back from the injury towards the tail end of the season, like, you know, decent games. And then you have Demir Bird, And at tight end, you have Ryan Izzo. There is a lot left to be desired on both the offense and the defensive side of the ball for the New England Patriots. So where the Patriots are really betting on this system being able to work with the lack of talent, the Dolphins on the other side, they have a a system that was really thriving with a lot of guys that were considered not starter worthy and some were even uh, considered not worthy of being on an NFL team and yet they turned them into formidable starters in the NFL and on top of that they added a ton of talent. If you look at what the Dolphins added on the defensive side of the ball, you have Byron Jones who is uh, you know looking good so far in training camp. They added Noah Igbenogany in the secondary. They get Xavier Howard back. You add two guys from the Patriots defense in Landon Roberts and Kyle Van Noy who are both captains. So if I have to 
to grade the matchup between the Patriots offense and the Dolphins defense. Right now, I'm giving an edge to the Dolphins defense, and frankly, I don't even think it's really that close. I don't see any weapon on the Patriots offense that I think can definitively beat their man in a one-to-one matchup. Byron Jones, I'm certain, can do a good job locking down his man. We've seen what Xavier Howard is capable of doing. What it's going to come down to, I think, is being able to stop the run. And even then, I'm willing to bet on this linebacker group, on the guys in the front seven for the, uh, for the Dolphins, just because they've overhauled it so much. They had so much, uh, so many young players who are gaining experience here. If they are able, in my mind, to su- uh, shut down Sony Michelle and potentially have to shut down Cam Newton because what he's able to do with his legs, I think on the defensive side of the ball, this should be a pretty routine game for them on that side. Now, where I am a little bit concerned here is on the offensive side of the ball for the Dolphins. And I say that because of the offensive line. And last year, the offensive line was atrocious. It led to the Dolphins really struggling in the running game. Ryan Fitzpatrick, as you've heard many times, was the lead, the lead rusher for the team. And, you know, as much of it that was uh, on Kalen Balazs' shoulders, a lot of it fell on the offensive line. Patrick Laird couldn't get much going. Miles Gaskin couldn't get much going. The offensive line was bad. So in order for this team to, I think, begin to take a step in the right direction to win games consistently, they need to be able to run the ball every single game to certain uh, to a certain degree. And I'm not saying that they need to be like the 49ers who have a three-headed committee and they're all able to run all over people, but they need to be able to run the ball even a little bit because last year there wasn't even a sliver of a possibility of running the ball. So you bring in Matt Breida, you bring in Jordan Howard. If you're able to get them in the four yards per carry area and keep them involved throughout an entire game, I think that could be an easy little recipe for getting some wins and managing the clock. And I think that's what the Dolphins need to do here. And I think it's capable just because there are so many, you know, inexperienced guys at the linebacker position for the Patriots or guys who haven't played too well. So I do think running the ball is going to be extremely important in this game. I met, I mentioned that Patrick Chung elected to opt out, but there are still some talented guys in the McCourty twins for the Patriots in Stephon Gilmore. You have a lot of young guys at the receiver position for the Dolphins. So I think they need to be able to get the run going, get some time for Ryan Fitzpatrick. The Dolphins offensive line in this game is going to be tested and you have a ton of young guys. You have Austin Jackson out there. You have Solomon Kinley. You have Eric Flowers who's trying to, you know, uh, have a resurgence at the guard position. So there is a lot left to be proven at the Dolphins offensive line. This is going to be a good test to see what we're working with here. But even then, I don't think it's going to be a make or break moment. If they're able to come out here and look absolutely amazing, you should be extremely fired up because these are young guys guys here. But if they come out here and they're struggling a little bit, then this just may be a little bit longer of a project to get some of these young guys uh, able to step up to the professional level. But as of right now, I'm still looking at this Dolphins team as one that is rebuilding. I'm not on their back, you know, saying that they have to absolutely win this game because I do think their better, their peak years are going to be in the future. They're going to be a year from now, two years from now. Whenever Tua is the quarterback, that is when we should expect to be seeing the peak Dolphins. I still think this is very much a learning experience, even though I think they are very capable of winning this game. I'm not going to be pressuring the team or absolutely expecting a high level of success at the offensive line 
in this game. So to summarize this quick little preview just a little bit, I think the Dolphins defense is a lot more talented than what the Patriots have on offense. And I think they should be able to shut down that team and just be able to stop the run and they could dominate the defensive side of the ball. Now from the offensive side, it's going to come down to the offensive line. It's going to come down to giving Ryan Fitzpatrick time to throw. It's going to come down to uh, getting some sort of running game going. I don't know whether it's going to be Matt Breida or Jordan Howard, but I think if the running total in this game isn't over at least 90 yards rushing, then this may be a bad sign of the outcome on the offensive side of the ball for the Dolphins. So I would love to know what you guys think about that. Do you think the Dolphins are going to be able to pull out this win? Are there other factors that you think I did not mention? Would love to know what you guys think. Now we're going to move on before we finish this episode to some comments that Skip Bayless made that were directed at Dak Prescott. And Dak Prescott had a, a, a moment where he was able to speak and release a bit of a statement about what was happening this offseason. And he said, quote, all throughout this quarantine and this offseason, I started experiencing emotions I've never felt before. Anxiety for the main one. And then honestly, a couple days before my brother passed, I would say I started experiencing depression. And to the point of I didn't want to work out anymore. I didn't know necessarily what I was going through to say the least and hadn't been sleeping at all. And in regards to his brother, he went on to add he meant a lot to my family, meant a lot to me. Part of the reason I am a quarterback, when I was a little kid, he was the main reason I first started throwing the football. It has been a tough year, been a tough year for me personally, been a tough year for my family. It's been a tough year for this country and this world. Everything has been tough, close quote. So with that being said, Dak Prescott lost his brother uh, back in April. April, and that really affected him uh, and his mental state. And he was uh, open enough to discuss this on a national level and really give uh, everybody an opportunity to get a, a perspective of what was going on internally with Dak Prescott. But yet, for some reason, Skip Bayless had this idea that this was not the proper reaction for Dak Prescott to have. And he said, quote, you are commanding an entire franchise. They're all looking at you to be their CEO, to be in charge of the football team. Because of all of that, I don't have sympathy for him going public with, quote, I got depressed. I suffered depression early in COVID to the point where I couldn't even work out. Look, he's a quarterback of America's team, close quote. And I don't understand in what world that is the proper reaction to what he said. It is completely tone deaf to think that there is somebody who is going through, uh, you know, extremely personal uh, issues with their family. They lost a loved one that is extremely dear to them and somebody is extremely important. And this happened amidst some of the most chaotic times in recent memory. I mean, you have a, a pandemic going on throughout the country. Everything's being flipped upside down. Uh, there's a sense of insecurity just by doing basic things because you don't know what could be happening. There is ramifications for everything. And yet, he said that he doesn't have sympathy for him because he is a quarterback for America's team. And I don't understand how that has any correlation to what is going on internally. I think if anything, Dak Prescott going public with these kind of comments is very important because it shows that even somebody that we look at as kind of a gladiator on TV, somebody who commands a whole team of you know grown men, some of the strongest guys, he is making himself vulnerable on a stage and to show you it is okay to go through and feel like that because you know as guys we are taught not to show emotion or to not 
show any signs of weakness, but I think it is very important for people uh, to recognize what Dak Prescott did here, and I think it was very backwards, the comments that Skip Bayless made. It was going against the whole movement, I think, and going against everything that is humane. I think it was just very disappointing what he said. So I would love to know what you guys think about that. And that is how I'm going to wrap up the episode. But I am glad to have football back, guys. It is amazing. I woke up today feeling great. I'm going to go to bed feeling great. I'm anxious to talk about more football with you guys. If you haven't checked it out already, I've been uploading a few more videos on my YouTube channel, including one uh, for people who were worried about why Tua was not selected as a starter. I have a very interesting little video that will tell you why he is not the starter and why you should not be worrying about it just yet. And I also have a video uh, recapping all the wide receivers for the Dolphins in 2020. So if you could check that out, if you could subscribe, that would mean uh, that would mean a lot and it would help tremendously. But guys, that is how I'm going to wrap it up. Until next time, I'm Steven Masso and this was Via the Source.